from the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas, <gasps> Stu Miley was dropped into a whole new world. Hello? Am I dead? Hiya, boss. Now, he has 24 hours to find a way out, or he'll lose everything. The woman I love is living with a little monkey that looks like me. Ow! What a lucky girl. Brendan Fraser, Bridget Fonda, Chris Kattan, Monkey Bone. Be right back after I choke my monkey! Rated PG-13. Do you like it, the juice? You like the juice? I got a can, too. Did you hear that? You opened up a can? Yeah. What uh, you drinking I, on? Since I started working from home, it's a, hard, a little harder to get up in the morning, so I've uh, gotten into uh, Mountain Dew Kickstart energy drinks. Oh, goodness. I'm on Old Milwaukee near beer. Uh, welcome to Saturday Night Jive, the podcast where we talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live-related movies. This week, we watched Monkey Bone from 2001, featuring the inimitable... Chris Kattan. Yeah, and it, he only shows up in like the last ten minutes of the movie, and I for, kept forgetting, like, what? Who? Who are we watching this movie for? I did the same thing. I kept waiting for like fucking Gary Kroger to pop up in the hell scene because I was like, wait, there's Brendan Fraser wasn't on Saturday Night Live. I was starting to think no. like, is this one where like it was just like a Janine Garofalo situation where she was cut or something? But yeah, no. No, we get. Uh, uh, Chris Kattan showing up as a dead gymnast, easily the best part of the movie, in my opinion. Uh, and I said that last week when we teased that we were doing Monkey Bone. All my memories of this movie are the Chris Kattan stuff. That's the only part of this movie I remembered. I forgot the first hour of this thing ever existed. Yeah, and honestly, in, in light of his performance in this and how good it was, I kind of wish that he'd been the Brendan Fraser part. Yeah. Well, I think this movie would have been like 15% better with a different person in the lead. Uh, before we start with uh, Monkey Bone, I wanted to introduce uh, a new segment into our podcast um, because I keep forgetting to mention the email address that we have. And I keep wanting people to email us, but then I'm like, well, they don't know what the fucking email is. So here's the new segment of the podcast. It's called the question and answers segment. And we're going to answer questions that we receive through email. The email address is Saturday Night Jive Podcast at gmail.com. Send us a question, we will answer it. Now, we don't have any questions this week. So, what I did was I uh, Googled uh, questions every podcast uh, host should ask their guests. So, I'm going to start it off here uh, and I'll pose this question to you. What do you wish you had known when you started out? As a podcaster specifically? No, uh, no, not specific. Just what are you curious about, or what do you wish you had known before you when you started out? I, I when I started out, I mean, I guess to 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 remind people what the email address was like early on, so that we'd have email, so that this segment could be a thing, and I wouldn't have to answer these stupid fucking questions. I know. I wish I would have known that when we started out too. People really need to know you exist. You know, for as little as we advertise, I think we have like. Something like 250 subscribers or some shit on our, our RSS feed, which is weird. All right. Well, if you have a question for Saturday Night Jive Podcast, send it to Saturday Night Jive Podcast at gmail.com. I hope one of your questions is, what exactly is your podcast about? Because I forget sometimes, too. I feel like we explain it so much, and yet it still needs explaining every time because it's so dumb. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I feel every time I listen to an episode of our podcast, I'm always like, 
If I was listening to this for the first time, I wouldn't know what the fuck was going on. They're just talking about a random movie, and then at the end, they pull a name out. I know, and it's when we don't explain it. Where it's, Yeah, I always wonder about that. Like, okay, why did they watch Monkey Bone as opposed to fucking anything else? Well, I'll tell you why we watched Monkey Bone, because we pulled Chris Kattan, Kattan's name off of an Excel spreadsheet, and he was in Monkey Bone. Um, I had nothing to talk about Monkey Bone. I took no fucking notes for Monkey Bone. I took exactly three. One was, um, hey, remember to plug the email. <laughs> so, took care of that. I love that you were obsessing about that as you were watching the movie. <laughs> I was just like, oh, make a note. Remember to mention that we have a fucking email address. Uh, I, I wrote down Chris Kattan. <laughs> That's all I wrote. That's my note. And then I wrote down this sucks. So those are my three notes for Monkey Bone. Well, just speaking of like podcast structure stuff, uh, apparently uh, my other podcast, Dirty Sons and Pitches, has a Patreon now. Nate set it up. I didn't even know about it. Uh, it's the uh, patreon.com slash Dirty Sons of Pitches. I was going to bring that up to you. Do, you. do you think you want to start a Patreon? It's free, apparently. Let's start with an email. <laughs> Let's see if, if we get an email again. If we get one email, maybe, just maybe. <laughs> yeah, Saturday Night Jive, podcast at gmail.com. Um, but before we get into Monkey Bone, this movie that I watched and have little memory of, even though I watched it this morning, um, I do want to talk about another SNL-related movie that I uh, fucking loved the shit out of. And I texted you after I watched it, and I was like, you got to watch Palm Springs on Hulu, because that's the best movie I've seen in quite a while. It's and you said you have already seen it. Yeah. And you yeah, agree. It's definitely in my top 10 so far. I mean, and given how, how movies are in 2020, it's probably going to stand my best list. I can't anticipate it. I don't anticipate it going off of it. Oh, oh, yeah. No, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, man, this is this is good. But by the end, I was like, I think that's going to be like one of my favorite movies I see this whole year. And yeah, considering that I don't know how many more movies I'm going to get this year. Palm Springs is a good one. Uh, and it but is yeah, not related to Andy Samberg's in it, so we can talk about it. Yes, I would completely recommend this. Don't want to give away too much, but just, you know, you get this from the trailer. Uh, the mom from How I Met Your Mother falls into a time loop uh, on her sister's wedding, and then she meets, uh, well, she meets Andy Samberg before she falls into the time loop. But Andy Samberg is also in a time loop. He has been there for who knows how long. And then it's a romantic comedy where the day keeps repeating. So it's like Groundhog's Day, but there's two people in it, and one person's been in the Groundhog's Day for longer than the other one, so he kind of knows the rules. It was so smart the way they did that, you know, because you got the character who knows what's going on, so he's our way in. Oh, I, I love that. I love the whole movie. Oh, yeah, and then they introduce J.K. Simmons as another mm -hmm. wrinkle in the story, and it just and it all comes together so well. I love how they use the physics of the time loop at the end as the solution. Like, with the comparison being Groundhog's Day... It's got like a magical romantic comedy solution where once he falls in love and and reduces his ego or whatever, then he, he breaks it. But this, it's like they actually have to figure it out based on like how time travel would work in, in this universe. You know, I like stuff like that. Yeah. And it's so well paced. It, the, it moves so quickly, the whole thing. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, there's, there's that great montage in Groundhog Day where it's just like, you know, real quick how he's romancing Andy McDowell. That's basically the pace of this whole movie. It does not slow down. There's a lot of montages because they're just repeating the same day over and over again. You see scenes from different characters' point of views. Like sometimes we're just following Andy Samberg. Sometimes we're just following, uh, I, can, I can't remember her name, Christian Malati. Christian Malati. Christian Malati, yeah. Sometimes we're just following her character. Uh, this movie, it was just, it was a wonderful little film. I mean, it's, it's funny, it's heartfelt. 
So you got a mixture of everything. Yeah, I can't recommend Palm Springs high enough. And just the, 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 what they do with the characters, each character that, that experiences the time loop, and there are multiple ones by the end, react to it in a different way. Like, you know, some of them kind of discover a weird comfort within it where they're, like, afraid to leave. Some of them, you know, they, they're desperate to leave for a very specific reason because the time loop is almost like a torture for them. And then some people, like, they kind of rediscover their lives via the time loop. It's just that using that conceit and doing so many different things with it where it's not just the joke of, like, here's a montage of how they have no consequences, and they're like, that's one thing they do, but then they also do other stuff with it. They they kind of hit it at every every possible angle, and I was impressed, very much impressed by that. Yeah, it does what Groundhog's Day uh, doesn't do, and it's not like Groundhog's Day failed. I just, Groundhog's Day wasn't interested in this, but it shows you the effect that the time loop would have on your psyche, you know? And yeah, depending on your outlook on life, and, yeah, are you anxious to get out of the time loop, or do you just want to hang in it and just fucking hey, whatever? I'll, well, if Groundhog's I die, Day, I'll wake up to tomorrow. But for Groundhog's Day, it's a joke when he like he's thinking he's a god and he's depressed. In this in this movie, it, it's used for character drama. It's actually used to kind of make a point about the story and the characters and their relationships. So it kind of I think it just delves a little deeper into it. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed that one. Um, what I did not enjoy was Monkey Bone from two thousand one. Well, who boy was this a stinker? I don't want to blow your mind, George, <laughs> but I think I kind of love this movie. I thought you might. I was watching this and I'm like, Ben is probably getting a fucking kick out of this shit. No, I hated this. <laughs> I mean, but you, if you hate this movie, then you hate Beetlejuice. No, I, you can, there are two different things. This is Beetlejuice on steroids. I mean, the production design in this movie is amazing it's directed by henry Selick, the guy who did nightmare before christmas and Coraline. it's a live action nightmare before christmas i think the pitch to this movie is what if we put a real dude in the nightmare before christmas town that's that's going to be the main part of our film so it looks like incredible but there's nothing going on in this thing well i mean and and i i will grant that it is very slight in terms of its execution in terms of its story but it was enough for me. This world is just so fucking great to look at and to live in. And so much of it is just that. It's just, here, what's another crazy fucking thing he can run into? And as somebody who loves, like, Cool World, the fucking Ralph Bakshi movie that everybody hates, that's enough for me here. Like, just seeing this crazy world of living puppets. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I think there was just enough in terms of, like, there's an evil puppet that escaped into his body and he's got to find his way out to stop him and he's got to go into some crazy fucking thing to find his way out and then there, there's the, the the king of nightmares and he's got this weird the weird little stubbly legs it's so fucking cool just so many weird cool elements they didn't always gel together i will grant that but for me they didn't really have to because it was just sort of overwhelming with just how fucking weird it was I, I, visually it's a little interesting okay, we're both looking at I, right now pigeons with human heads that's enough. Yeah. I was like, I love this movie as soon as I saw it. <laughs> yeah, but this is another one where I watched it this morning, and then I, I have my video player set to just repeat. <laughs> so it just played. So I muted my TV, and I had Monkey Bone playing in the background today, all day, on repeat. And it's a short movie. It's not that long. I think I watched Monkey Bone on mute six times today in total. And I kept looking at the TV, and I was seeing these stop-motion animation, these puppets, and it just got grosser and grosser and grosser to by the 
by the end of the day, I was like, I can't, I gotta stop looking at this. Like, this is disturbing me. It's like upsetting me. And maybe it's just because I know I didn't like the movie. So I'm just watching. Now I'm watching gross imagery while I'm watching the movie. I saw that scene with Brendan Fraser, like deflating and like turning into a pile of like just skin. Like every time I looked at my TV, that's what was on. So I saw that image like 18 times today. We we should also preface this by saying that you and I, growing up, had very different uh, experiences when it came to stop motion and puppetry in film. I very much am inured to this kind of thing, whereas this is basically what frightened you as a child. This movie is basically the the large Marge scene from Pee Wee Herman over and over again. I probably would have been freaked out of this movie. If this movie came out in, like, 1989, I would have been so fucking scared of monkey bone <laughs> and and that's the, the thing i will say about the movie to your point the main thrust of it like the monkey bone character is the like not fun at all and is the least interesting part of it i like the idea of like an artist's creation come to life and they have this antagonistic relationship and they're almost like adversaries but in execution like the monkey bone character I'm thinking of like the analog to this being like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like a human and an animated character in a uh, like antagonistic relationship. But they took the time to make you like Roger Rabbit, and they don't take any time to make you like Monkey Bone. No, not at all. Yeah, no. I, I was thinking about that when I was watching the movie. I was like, if this movie was made with like fucking Bugs Bunny, if Bugs Bunny jumped into somebody's human body, and then you got Bugs Bunny in a human body in the real world, I think I might like that. But yeah, Monkey Bone, the whole plot of this movie, for anyone who hasn't watched it, Brendan Fraser is a cartoonist. Uh, he's about to, you know, make his money with his signature creation, Monkey Bone, this little monkey pot. We can get into what Monkey Bone is later. But for the plot of the movie, he gets into a car accident, falls into a coma. And then while he's in a coma, he goes to uh, downtown, which is, I guess, like the, the limbo universe it's, it's not exactly between life and death, but it's also yeah. where our dreams and nightmares come from. And for the record, that's nine minutes in. This movie probably started earlier than anything else. Like so many movies we watch, like when is this going to fucking start? This started goddamn quick. Oh, and it's a short movie. I mean, it's a quick watch. I was surprised. It was on repeat all day today. And I was surprised how many times I kept watching the same scene because I was like, oh, the movie restarted again. Wow. It's only been like an hour and 10 minutes. But anyway, so he goes into this underworld um, and then he meets his creation, Monkey Bone, who's a stop motion animated uh, fucking thing. Um, and then a series of events happens. He ends up going back to Earth, but Monkey Bone goes in his place. So Monkey Bone wakes up in Brendan Fraser's body, creates some havoc. Brendan Fraser then leaves the underworld, uh, goes into Chris Kattan's body. Uh, Chris Kattan was a gymnast who broke his neck. So Chris Kattan's running around with a broken neck. And that's the uh, end of the movie. You know, it, it all ends happily. But they do not take the time to set up Monkey Bone. I did not like the Monkey Bone character. The Monkey Bone character was gross to me. I did not enjoy him. I did not understand if he was supposed to be funny, mischievous. I could not get a read on this thing. So by the time Monkey Bone is causing havoc in Brendan Fraser's body, I could not care a bit at all. Well, that's the thing. And for the record, in the movie's defense, you yada yada the first two acts. Chris Kattan, that's all the third act. Uh, but yeah, with the, the thing with the Monkey Bone character, and again, the, the comparison to Beetlejuice, the the movie Beetlejuice takes more time setting up that character. So yes, you you know you like him in terms of I mean he's charismatic and he's funny, but he's always the antagonist. 
and that's I think what's interesting about his character is that you're kind of relating to him and not necessarily sympathizing with him, but you know you're 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 endeared to him even as he's causing havoc and being this villain. Whereas Monkey Bone sort of serves the same purpose in the story, but they just don't. It, it just it starts and goes off so fast that he's just annoying and a and a bad guy. He you're never like oh I like him or oh I love to hate him or anything like that. I think if they just spend a little more time on that character and their relationship. It feels like they just they expect you to kind of get it right away that like well he he's his creator and he's his creation and they they kind of bicker and like that's enough it, it almost feels like there's a lot of stuff cut between like the first time Brendan Fraser's in in downtown and sees that Monkey Bone's there and then like the next time you cut it's like he's been there for weeks and has developed this weird relationship but it's like well where was that. Yeah, well, that is possible. I, did you read about the trivia of this movie? I mean, what little I could find online. A little bit. I mean, it's somewhat interesting. It, evidently, it was a much darker movie when it was conceived. Evidently, it's based on a comic book. I've never read the, the comic. Uh, but uh, I, I guess there was a lot of studio interference. I read about um, – what's her face? Rose McGowan. She's in it. She's uh, this cat waitress. And she says that the, the uh, early versions of it before the studio got involved, you know, uh, it was much more of the stuff in downtown – and it was just much more creepy. And I think that the, the movie could have stood to be a little more adult and a little more creepy. Yeah, it was not intended to be a PG-13 movie. The studio cut it down to get a better rating um, so they could, like, market it to kids. But it is so not a kid's movie. <laughs> well, that, that was another interesting thing about it. Apparently, this movie is part of the reason why Adult Swim exists. Did you read that? Mm-hmm. Because uh, evidently, Cartoon Network was advertising this movie on their regular like tsunami block and so many parents complained that they had to create a whole new adult centric block of stuff just so they could advertise adult stuff so i mean i I mean i think adult swim is a great thing so it's i guess it's great that this movie exists (laughs) for that alone yeah but uh, i guess rose mcgowan said in an interview that they fired henry Selleck. i couldn't see that confirmed anywhere but i imagine it's true but yeah she was talking about how this movie was better but she's only in the underworld part so i'm imagining she didn't have a sense of what else was going on in the rest of the movie like she was never on set with fucking bridget fonda and chris Catan, so she has no idea what that part of the movie's like so according to her yeah i guess but she's only in the stuff with like the crazy production design and stuff so i don't know when i read that i was like well yeah according to you you're in the cool parts of the movie. So yeah, you probably are like, this movie's great. Like this is going to be the best thing ever. But then you see it and yeah, there's like an hour of bad shit surrounding your shit. See, and that that's and that's another thing. Like we always watch movies and we're like, this movie's so bad. The speaking of like Brendan Fraser, like uh, fucking Furry Vengeance. How are they making that movie? And not going like, this is really bad. This is going to be terrible. Like, how are they not, like, even as they're on set, like, there's no way they could have, like, fooled themselves into thinking, like, well, my part's kind of good, so maybe the whole movie will be good. Whereas in this movie, Rose McGowan, I can totally get why she's doing this and going, like, yeah, this is going to be fucking great. Everything she's seeing is insane and experimental and, and awesome. And, yeah, I can see why she wouldn't necessarily see the you know, the stuff that's not necessarily going well. Yeah, she wasn't on set when Dave Foley was running around naked for no fucking reason. <laughs> but I really like Dave Foley's character. I, I mean, I always like what, Dave Foley in anything. I think he's great. What character? What, who was he? He was just the boss, and then he took the nightmare drug and ran around naked. I, I just like him as the amoral character. Like, there's a, one moment where 
they talk about doing the the charity, and this is when Monkey Bones in Brendan Fraser's body, and he goes, "Also, oh, we're just gonna like pretend like we're doing something charitable while we're really taking the money." He's like, "Yes, exactly." <laughs> and it's like that's just his character. He's just the guy that's like, "I'm going to try to get this guy to sell out at every opportunity." I like that scene, or like the montage of him, uh, Monkey Bone in his body, you know, with the with the fast food people and with the the toy company. And I, the fucking thing with the farting toy, I just, I don't know, something about that, where they're just spraying it in the air with everybody, and, like, it's like this, I think this kind of gets slow, and it's like this operatic music as the farting doll is held up, and just weird moments like that. It's such a weird fucking movie, it's got a weird sensibility that I just perfectly keyed into. Even the stuff that wasn't in downtown, I feel like... Once it got going, it just gets crazier and crazier. Like you have, you don't, you mentioned Chris Kattan. He's a dead body. His organs are being harvested by Bob Odenkirk. And then the surgeons are chasing him through the city, trying to get his organs back. And like, they never even question that he's a zombie. Oh yeah. No, I loved that part of the movie. When Bob Odenkirk and a bunch of other doctors get in a car and they're like, get that dead gymnast. And then there's like Looney Tunes music playing during that scene. I did like all of that. And then the very end of the movie, when Brendan Fraser is battling Chris Kattan, they're both dangling off a hot air balloon and Chris Kattan is digging in his body and throwing just organs at Brendan Fraser's face. That worked for me. I liked all of that. And like I said, Chris Kattan, I said it last week. I remember watching this movie going, fucking Chris Kattan, and that like is an insane performance that he gives in this film. And I had that uh, same experience today. I Chris Kattan was was really working for me in this. I, I thought he yeah. was great. His ability at physical comedy, and it makes it even more sad because like I don't. We've talked about it on the podcast. He's since suffered a neck injury, so it's harder for him to move. He went on Dancing with the Stars and like could barely do it because of that. Like that was kind of a big inspirational thing that like, he was trying to overcome it but couldn't. And when people talk about that, they always mention Night at the Roxbury. Oh, he can't do the dance anymore. But it's like no. Beyond that. He was such a great fucking physical comedian, and now that he's limited in that, it just it, it makes me really sad watching this movie where it's displayed so so amazingly. Oh yeah, well, because he's playing a gymnast with a broken neck, so he's running around at like full speed with just his limbs just flying everywhere, and the whole time he's got his neck tilted at like a ninety degree angle while he's just running around the streets. And yeah, it's just an incredible physical performance by Chris Kattan. I I I thought he was fantastic in this movie and, and I, I just i want to go back to just the imagery because you, you have that and like the, just the morbid sensibility of so much of this movie like the weird uh you mentioned the thing the dream sequence when he's like deflating i mean i know you were grossed out by it i thought that was really cool but then like they go into like the dream sequence with him as like the bug and the table and like the weird doctor with the shit coming like just weird like lovecraftian imagery which you know i'm if it's cool, I'm enough. I'm allowing it to be tonally inconsistent. So like, it's not. It's never. When the movie wants to be funny, I'm never laughing as much at it because so much of it is just so off-putting and weird. But I like that too. So it's like I'm not necessarily bothered by it. But I think maybe you want it to just be funnier, or you want it to be more of one thing done well rather than a lot of different ideas done okay. My problem with the movie was the script, basically, and the story of it. I just and the characters. Uh, the imagery was all great. The, like I said, production design, A+. Plus. Brendan Fraser as your lead, mm, C-. minus. Well, I, I, the big problem with that, it, 
I think this the story had too much story, honestly. Once the because there's like a twist where like you find out that uh the G uh um what's his name? The the oh, guy from yeah. that, we gotta get into the subplot with Giancarlo Esposito Giancarlo trying to affect Esposito. the world with night nightmares. I love that well, character, that... the design of him, because it's actually Giancarlo Giancarlo Esposito's real head head and I think his arms are real, but then like the rest of his body is like this like stubby leg puppet. He's the king of nightmares, he's uh a hypnos and he made a deal with Monkey Bone to steal Brendan Fraser's body so that he could create new nightmares. And then there's like they establish like there's this nightmare gas and shit. Like all that stuff could be cut completely. Yes. And then you could have more time to build up the stuff in the in the downtown and make it more interesting and organic and come together better. All the disparate ideas. I think the reason they don't come together is because they're spending so much time on that weird fucking subplot. Yeah, it's like the mafia subplot in Three Men and a Baby. It's entirely pointless. You're three men, you have a baby, let's focus on that. You're a guy who's in limbo and a monkey has taken over your uh, human avatar, let's focus on that. We don't need a subplot where the god of nightmares is trying to steal Bridget Fonda's nightmare juice that she happened to invent. Take it back down to hell where you can make everyone have nightmares. We don't need that. Well, it almost feels like save the cat structure stuff, like... They like they had a weirder script and then they put it through a filter of like, well, we need these beats here and these beats here. And the only way we accomplish this is if there's some kind of fucking fear gas. <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 no, why ultimately? Uh, yeah, you have plenty with guy fell into a coma. He's in a nightmare world. He needs to get back to Earth. That's your plot. I don't need any more. I don't need the mob to come in and be like, so how much for the guy in the coma? I don't need that. I don't well, need demons trying to Monkey Bone is an agent of chaos. So once he's in Brendan Fraser's body, he's crazy and running all over the place. And he's seducing his woman. You know, like there, there's enough there already. You don't need a, a maniacal plot on top of it. Yeah. What did you think of Brendan Fraser when he was Monkey Bone? Well, I will say this i think i'm a bigger brendan fraser fan than you are Uh, yeah a lot of my problems with this movie i think have to do with brendan fraser and just how i didn't find him likable or charming in this movie i have in some stuff but in a lot of stuff i i just don't like looking at him well here's the thing i just i have a lot of respect for him i think he's one of those actors that like goes out of his way to make bold choices and take risks in movies i think anybody that chose to do this movie I, I just I respect their approach to film that they were like, yeah, this weird fucking experimental movie. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I heard uh, I think it was Dave Foley talking about it. Well, he was like, yeah, I did it because it was like the, the the first big budget art film ever made. And it feels like that. And And his performance, he feels like he's game for it. So like the two different versions of his character, he's like sort of the milk toast, you know, hero and the, the crazy villain all at once. I, I mean, I don't know. Do you watch Doom Patrol at all? No. Doom Patrol, the show, almost feels like this kind of world as a TV show with superheroes. I mean, there's there is sort of dream world aspects to it, but Brendan Fraser's in it. He plays Robot Man, mostly just a voice, but he's also in flashbacks because in the, the current time he's just a robot body. Uh, but it it just it has that same kind of sensibility to it, where it's just like it doesn't matter how crazy it is, you're gonna find your audience. You're gonna find somebody that likes it this crazy, and you're not gonna compromise. Like even with the studio interference, you can feel in it. It feels like so much of this movie is like, we're not making this for the average moviegoer. We're, we got a budget, but we're making it for weirdos like Ben Bailey. <laughs> so I appreciated that. 
Well, speaking of voice work, uh, John Turturro is the voice of Monkey Bone. My question That's is, an odd choice. What was the point? Because <laughs> they fuck up his voice. You know, he's not... Mm. He doesn't sound like John yeah. Turturro. Oh, yeah. If, you would, if I did not know John Turturro was the voice of Monkey Bone, and you asked me to guess... I would guess 500 names before I guessed John Turturro. It doesn't sound like him. I, I Yeah, it was a, just an odd choice for this character. And that's another, yeah, like I said, I did not like this movie. A lot of it's Brendan Fraser, but an, an equal part of it is fucking monkey bone. I just don't like him. No, that's the thing. that, that I, That's the, the biggest deficit of the movie is that character who, yes, is the title character of the movie, is just not as interesting as he should be given the role he plays in the story. He's a character that's, he's a, a living figment of a care of another character's imagination come to life that hates his creator and wants to fuck him over and, and take over his body in the real, like that should be more interesting character dynamic than it is. Yeah. Like there should um, be, a, there should have been like a moment where like he like unloads, like all the, all the problems, like, like he's been living in this guy's fucked up psyche, all his existence. There should have been a moment where, like, he unloads on him, like, cathartically. Like, how horrible must it be to live inside your mind? This is why I want to escape and fuck you because, you know, you created me into this madness. Like, he needed, like, a, you know, something like that where it's, like, a reason for why he hates Brendan Fraser so much other than he's just a dick. Yeah. We also didn't talk about the cartoon that opens this movie, which I don't know if we're supposed to take as canon. I guess Monkey Bone is just a figment of Brendan Fraser's imagination. That's why he's down there. Um, but Monkey Bone is introduced as a young child's boner. Yes. Which, and this is something, this is a trope that I hate in movies. Whenever art is depicted in art and people are supposed to love it, like they have this cartoon that is like really shitty. And then everybody claps. I'm like, yeah, that was the greatest thing ever. I can't wait for the six episode commitment of that. (laughs) This movie starts with like, yeah, the like grossest looking cartoon you've ever seen. And then it cuts to an audience going, oh my goodness. Oh yeah, great pilot. We loved it. They fully like, that's monkey bone. It reminded me of the, 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 what was it? The zebras or giraffes or whatever from Freddy Got Fingered. But, like, the joke was that was supposed to be dumb. Right. That was supposed to look shitty. Yeah, this is, I think, supposed to look good. I don't think it's supposed to not look good. Um, But, yeah, in this cartoon, a little boy gets his first boner, tries to hide it in his backpack, and then a monkey shoots out of his backpack. That's the origin of Monkey Bone. It's a young child's first direction. And they don't do anything with that, so I thought Monkey Bone was going to be, like, the the literal embodiment of Brendan Fraser's like libido or his cock, you know, like Brendan Fraser is going to go back to earth with monkey bone in his body. And he's just going to be a walking cock, but that doesn't happen. I mean, when monkey bone goes into Brendan Fraser's body, he's a fucking lecherous, but I think it's more just, he's a representation of his id, you know, not necessarily his sexual, uh, it's everything, it's all of his, just his raw desire. It's every, It's him without his, his ethics and his morality. I don't know. It wasn't enough for me. I, well, again, because I didn't know who Monkey Bone was, you know? So when Monkey Bone gets in the body, I'm like, Monkey Bone, he's just a fucking monkey as far as I know. I don't know what his fucking goals are. I don't know what he's trying to do. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm just, I'm watching the scene where we're watching now where it's all the weird, like, grim reaper people that are like these cloth giant things that when you pull the cloth off they're just ghosts underneath and they work for death who's whoopi goldberg with an eye patch and thomas hayden church is her 
like weird clown bailiff and just like all these weird fucking images and ideas and it, it feels just like henry selick just having a fucking field day like i get to play in this world again this nightmare before christmas guest world but you know without tim burton's designs i can just do whatever the fuck i want and i don't know i it was enough for me i was on board with this shit but you need a story too yeah um, no i get that and the story yeah. is the weakest part well, and also I, I did read that this was edited like edited down like six or seven times before it was theatrically released. The release date was moved a bunch of times because they didn't know when was the appropriate time to open a movie like Monkey Bone. Like Christmas Day? Nah, that's probably not going to work. So it got dumped out in like February. Uh, and there actually is an SNL connection to this movie outside of Chris Kattan. Uh, Brendan Fraser cameoed on an episode of Saturday Night Live in a sketch with Chris Kattan. And then, if memory serves me correct, at the end of the episode during the Good Nights, Brendan Fraser is just shouting "Monkey Bone." I may be imagining that, but if I can find a clip of it, I'll put it in here. But I do remember Brendan Fraser going like, "Go see Monkey Bone!" <laughs> like screaming over the Good Nights. I mean, whatever you got to do, I guess. Editor's note: It was bedazzled that Brendan Fraser was shamelessly plugging at the end of the Rob Lowe episode of Saturday Night Live. Here's a clip of it anyway. Thanks to Eminem, Ralph Nader, Brendan Fraser, Tygo, Tim Meadows. God bless you. I love you, Matthew and John Owen. Oh, speaking of Chris Kattan, uh, one of the IMDb goofs was very mean to Chris Kattan. <laughs> I didn't read the goofs. I just read the trivia. <laughs> what was it? I was reading the goofs, you know, a couple boom mics. And then there's one goof that says, Chris Kattan is very out of shape for a gymnast. Fuck you. <laughs> That's not a goof. That's just a fucking insult on Chris Kattan. Man, well, plus he has to be bloated because he, and, and that, that was a That's fake true. stomach. Because it's a stomach with fake organs in it. That's true. That's true. Uh, and this was almost a Ben Stiller movie, but he had to drop out due to his commitments from Mystery Men. So we almost had two SNL alums in Monkey Bone. That was the only other trivia I found on Monkey well, Bone. Well, I think he was going to be the voice of Monkey Bone, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Which I Which, think would have worked a little better. Why is John Turturro your second choice? <laughs> I was going to say, as opposed to anything else, I mean, it, it, Ben Stiller, but if they pitched the voice the way they did, because there's a digital effect over his voice, so I don't know that it matters who's voicing Monkey Bone. Yeah. Why not make it just Brandon Fraser? Yeah, that probably would have been better if he did, like, just a crazy voice for it. Yeah, because he's doing a different voice when he's playing Monkey Bone in Brendan Fraser's body, so why not make him just the voice of Monkey Bone? See, and I gather you didn't like his performance as Monkey Bone either. I really liked him no. going crazy. No, I didn't. Um, I, he was bothering me throughout the movie, and then when he became Monkey Bone, he was bothering me more. Like, I just did not like Brendan Fraser in this movie. I almost think he's kind of perfect for it. Just the idea that he's like he, he's this every man in the beginning, and at the end, just kind of milk toast and average. And then you know his his capacity to go insane as much as he does at the in the third act or second and third act. I don't know. I think it it all worked for me. I will have to respectfully disagree. Sorry, I just okay, yawned because the problem too is <laughs> thinking about when you, have, when you have a movie that is as set in such an insane world. We're talking about a world where like 
you're in the afterlife, and the way you get out is you steal a, a golden ticket from Whoopi Goldberg's death, and then they launch you into Abraham Lincoln's mouth because he's the great emancipator. When you have shit like that, I feel like to, like all the problems you seem to have with it are based on like seem to be based on like tonal inconsistency. Like based on your expectations of what a movie like this should be, it's either it's too broad, too over the top, whatever. But I don't know that there sh- there can be any expectations of what a movie like this should be because there's no other movie like this. So what what is the alternative to you that would have been good? Just a better story and more character development. That's it. Um, and because it had like none of that, I couldn't latch onto this. I mean, there were interesting visuals in the underworld, but I could give a shit. I don't care. They needed to establish Monkey Bone at end of sentence. I was going to say they needed to establish him more. No, they needed to establish Monkey Bone. He goes to the underworld and you see Monkey Bone just hanging there and you're like, oh, okay, that's Monkey Bone. Who's Monkey Bone? Just a fucking monkey who runs around? That's what he is. And I'm I'm going back to the two of the comparisons I made earlier, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Cool World. This is closer to Cool World in that respect where, like, you don't care about Brad Pitt or uh, Gabriel Byrne, really, as the main characters of that. And it's more just a lot of cool visuals and cool, interesting ideas and concepts that never really gel well as a story. Whereas I think of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is probably the version of this executed well in the way that you're talking about, where you know you get enough about like Valiant and and uh, Roger Rabbit and their relationship, and then his relationship with Jessica Rabbit and Judge Doom. They think they're all well-rounded, three-dimensional characters that connect to each other and to the story organically. So it all feels like it all goes together. You know, this is much more just off the rails. I think it's like it's two things. It's like you have a lot of great ideas and then you have whatever brings them all together. Great movie does both. This one does one really does the first part really well. It doesn't do the second part well, whereas something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit has a lot of great ideas and it brings them all together. You know, but again, I would again go back to Beetlejuice. I don't know that Beetlejuice's characters are all that interesting. (laughs) No, they're not. Um, And Beetlejuice is one that I, you know. I like I like Beetlejuice, I think, the way you like Monkey Bone. I like the visuals in Beetlejuice. I like the scenes in Beetlejuice. I think they're fun and interesting. Um, but no, I don't really care about Catherine O'Hara. Although, I, I will say Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis are sympathetic characters in that movie. And Winona Ryder. So no, I'll, I'll take all of what I just said back. I think Beetlejuice does a much better job of establishing well, its I, characters. I'm saying, I, I, will, I would definitely say it does it better. I'm just saying I don't think it does it as well as you would want for a movie like this. I still think it's lacking in that regard. Uh, this is lacking considerably more in that regard. Yeah, no, uh, you know, you mentioned Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I know why Eddie Val. I know Eddie Valiant and his feelings towards tunes. I know what he's doing. I know what his goals are, what he's trying to accomplish. The same can be said for Roger Rabbit. I know what his goals are, what he's, his whole deal is. I don't know what anybody's deal is in this movie, and I watched it ten times today, and I still don't. But that's the other thing. I mentioned how this movie starts in, like, the first nine minutes. He's already dead. Yeah. Give, it, give us five, ten more minutes to live in this world before we establish the crazy other world, and I think a lot of those problems go away. Yeah. yeah I agree with that. And, you know, I'll give uh, Henry Selleck the better benefit of the doubt. Maybe in the original edit, there was more to that stuff. Maybe the studio cut it out, but I don't know. I I can't imagine what this movie was before PG-13. 
I mean, well, this is one that I would be very, you know, as much as we talk about like the fucking Snyder cut of Justice League, uh, probably a slightly more interesting version of a really uninteresting movie. This, I still think, whatever you li- think about it, whether you like it or hate it, it's interesting. And I think it would be very interesting to see, like, a, yeah, a director's cut of this. And just to see, like, because I can imagine it is, is a completely different movie. Yeah. Uh, or probably a different tone, too. I mean, because you can do so much with editing to just change a movie's tone. I mean, it just depends on what takes and angles you use, really. You can turn a movie into a comedy. You can turn a movie into a drama. So, yeah, I, just the whole movie, I would be wondering how it would be different before well, that. Well, like, a lot of the Selleck stuff seems to gear more towards outright horror, like all the dream sequences you talked about. Yeah. And then, like, we're watching a scene now where uh, Monkey Bone as Brendan Fraser is trying to monkey fuck Bridget Fonda and it's played for comedy, but it's basically rape. Yeah. And I imagine that this was probably more studio stuff. Whereas like the the version of, if there was a scene like this in the original version, it was probably played more for horror rather than comedy. Yeah. You just put some different music on it and change some of Bridget Fonda's reaction shots and you got a horror scene. Yeah. And I would but guess you put original... goofy music under it. Yeah, you put goofy music under it and cut to Brendan Fraser's stupid face so much. It's a comedy. Yeah. And I, so I think that was – yeah, whenever I think of studio interference, I think of stuff like that. Make it more broad. Make it less interesting. And to the extent that a lot of the movie kind of leans towards that, that's where I see like, oh, that's probably where Henry Selleck didn't have control. I, maybe I'm giving him too, more, too much of the benefit of the doubt, but that's just what it feels like watching it. Yeah. I, I guess it's an interesting – in my eyes, it's an interesting failure, but it's I, it's much ado about nothing. I don't I know if I'd recommend it. I mean I'd recommend the visuals, but you still got to watch the movie around the visuals. So no, I don't think I would rec- – I wouldn't recommend this movie. I'm not even saying it's like a fucking outright success. It's clearly a mixed bag. I'm not going to argue that. I just think I, – I don't think it – I enjoyed it too much to call it a failure. It, there's too much just fucking weird, cool shit in the movie. And again, I recommend it in the same way that I recommend a movie like Cool World. Just watch it for the the world that it creates. Yeah, you might want a better story by the end of it, but I think it's a it's enough. If you like animation and weird shit like that, I think it's enough. If you don't care about that sort of thing, if all you come to a movie for is story and like world building isn't necessarily important to you, you're you're probably not going to get much out of this. It's probably not going to change your mind at all. But if you're an animation junkie, I think it's re- almost required viewing. Okay, yeah, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, well, that's the thing. That's, that's where care. the story comes in. But again, I think it's an interesting world. I can definitely see, like, I think the comic book might be interesting to read. And, you know, I would almost like to play, like, like an old, like, 90s, like, point-and-click adventure game. Like, remember when we played, like, Toonstruck and shit like that? Oh, yeah. I would, I would like to play that kind of game in the, in that world. Hey, well... <laughs> Until your dream comes true. <laughs> Where was the monkey bone CD-ROM? I didn't think that made it into the marketing. I don't I mean, I'm just saying, I think there's, especially because, like, that was the era where they did, like, I don't think you ever played, uh, like, the Neverhood or those games where, like, they actually would use claymation in the graphics for, like, the video game. Like, there was a, a bunch of, uh, there was, like, a whole genre of those where they would actually do, like, claymation. I guess they've had, like, Clay Fighter and shit like that, too. But, like, they had video games with actual claymation graphics. So I could see this being something like that. Okay. I think I remember playing those. All right. Anything else about Monkey Bone? Because I'm all out. <laughs> no, we talked about Dave Foley. We talked about Bob Odenkirk. We talked about all the, the, the stuff I liked. Um, no, that's pretty much it. 
All right. Well, pick a number between one and 158. I, I also like how in this part of our podcast, we don't really set up what we're doing. For the first time listener, I'm just like, pick a number, Ben. And then you're like, uh, 76. And I'm like, Ellen Cleghorn. I'm sure that doesn't make a lot of sense. So to introduce this part, this is our tease for next week, where I have an Excel spreadsheet with every SNL cast member's name. Ben is going to randomly pick a number that will correlate to a name, and that will be our subject for next week. This week's subject was Chris Kattan. What's going to happen here is... We're gonna. I'm gonna select a random number. It's gonna correlate to a name of a cast member who was on like one season or like two episodes. Uh, we've never heard of them, and they were not in any movies. And then we're gonna be like, do we want to watch an episode from their season? I'll be like, no. And then we're gonna have to re-roll again until we find like Dan Aykroyd or something. Right. Okay. So <laughs> before you pick John Rydnitsky's name, <laughs> pick a number between one and 158. All right. Let's go with 65. 65. I think that was the number you picked last week, and I think that's Chris Kattan. Is it really? Is it Ellen Cleghorn again? Yeah, 65 is uh, Chris Kattan. That's the number you picked last week. That's insane. Okay, uh, fucking 85. 85. 85 is Finesse Mitchell. Fuck you, Uh, let's watch Finesse Your Caddy again. I can say Finesse Mitchell is in Who's Your Caddy. Are we going to do our due diligence and look up Finesse Mitchell? I think I looked up Finesse Mitchell once, and he's in something else. So I do want to look up Finesse Mitchell. Uh, let's see. Is there a link to his IMDb on his Wikipedia? Because he doesn't have a filmography on his Wikipedia. That's always a good sign. If they didn't even bother putting a filmography on his Wikipedia page. Oh, fuck. He's in the comebacks. I'll pretend I didn't <laughs> see that he's fucking, in the comebacks. Oh, my God. Or I can always re-roll a different number. I don't know. I mean... Because I don't think a Finesse Mitchell episode of SNL is going to do us any good. No. But but also, like, we brought up the comebacks on our Bucky Larson podcast because it's directed by the same guy. We then rolled David Koechner. And then we then then rolled Finesse Mitchell. I think it's just time that we have to do it. For the record, if you haven't listened to the last couple of podcasts, you've cited this as like one of your least favorite movies of all time. I know, and it keeps coming up. So I feel like I, we have to like appease the fucking Giancarlo Esposito. It's like putting this shit in my head. Like one day you're going to have to revisit this film from 2012 or whenever the fuck it came the, out the and you watched movie it. The gods are just trying to make us kill ourselves. Yeah, so uh, I think we have to. I've never seen it, so I'm game for the comebacks. This is the comebacks. Uh, That'll be next week's episode featuring starring SNL alum David Koechner, who you might remember from our last podcast of Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector, where he played Donnie the Retarded Neighbor. (laughs) Yeah, this... I mean, I'm fascinated to watch it just because of all, everything you've said about it and just to see your reaction like after, so much longer after the fact. Uh, I'm almost certain I'm not going to enjoy it, but I am up for watching it. It's a bad one, but like I said, I think just – I said like – fuck, I said like a month ago. <laughs> My exact fucking words when we said the comebacks, I said we could watch the comebacks, but I never want to watch the comebacks. Cut I to like a month said, later like, – we're never going to watch it on the show. I feel like you even said like explicitly, we're never going to watch that for the podcast. 
but how can I resist now? We pulled Dave Keckner's name, and I said, no, we're not doing the comebacks. We pulled Finesse Mitchell's name. We got to do the co- – this is the other part of our podcast for the uninitiated listener. The spreadsheet that we go off of, I, I believe, is uh, the, sign, the tool of the devil. I think the devil <laughs> controls it. Oh, no, I'm totally on board with that. I don't even believe in the devil except when I'm on this podcast and we're fucking doing that list. Pretty sure the devil is uh, making Finesse Mitchell's name the correct alphabetical order where you would pick it randomly. Well, I don't want to blow your mind, George, but I'm the one that picks the numbers because I'm the devil. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. It's not fun that I know it. That's how you trick the devil. (laughs) <laughs> if the oh. devil ever appears like if your dog is ever like ah i'm the devil you just go i knew it then the devil's pissed off the devil's like ah it's just the lamest form of reverse psychology on the devil <laughs> right. he only likes to surprise you devil's like i'm taking you to hell and you're like i knew it and devil's like oh well i guess you'll i guess i'll let you live on earth until well, i can surprise you properly <laughs> well hail satan we're watching the comebacks next week it's the comebacks next week. So until we see you again, get, off, get the- off the shed. That's what we say at the end of our episode. If this is your first time listening. I love that this is the first episode that everybody's starting with. What? They talk about monkey bone. With- I gotta listen to that shit. You gotta start with that monkey bone episode. So we say get off the shed. Get off the shed. Get off the shed. Now follow along. Monkey chicken chicken monkey chicken duck duck chicken monkey monkey chicken monkey chicken chicken monkey duck monkey duck chicken duck monkey monkey duck duck chicken monkey chicken chicken monkey chicken monkey duck chicken chicken monkey duck chicken monkey duck duck chicken chicken monkey chicken monkey chicken duck chicken duck duck chicken monkey monkey duck chicken monkey duck chicken duck monkey duck duck chicken chicken monkey chicken monkey monkey chicken monkey chicken chicken monkey chicken monkey monkey chicken monkey duck Chicken monkey, chicken monkey, duck, chicken, chicken, duck, chicken monkey, monkey, chicken monkey, chicken, duck. Duck, chicken monkey, chicken, chicken monkey, chicken, duck, duck, chicken, chicken, duck, chicken monkey, monkey, chicken. Chicken monkey, chicken, chicken monkey, chicken, chicken monkey, monkey, chicken monkey, chicken monkey, duck. Chicken, 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 monkey, monkey, chicken, monkey, duck, 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 goose.